Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you once said that everyone who hears your words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds beat and blew on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded upon the rock. Father, I, I thank you that your son is full of wisdom. And he has wisdom to spare. He has wisdom to impart to us this morning. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come, O oh, wise one, and speak to us, a company of fools in your presence. How we need your wisdom for this life. I pray, Father, that we would not ever see the issue of wisdom as an optional appendage to our Christianity, but that it would be the very essence and heartbeat of it. Wisdom is the path of life. Folly is the path of death. And each of us have a choice this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us to choose life. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you come, be present, bring conviction of sin, bring encouragement to those who need encouragement, bring wisdom to all of us who lack wisdom, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. It is my great privilege to ask you to open to the book of Proverbs this morning. Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's right in the middle of your Bibles. It's uh, just after Psalms, just before Ecclesiastes, if that gives any help. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles in the seats, the text is 533. I preach so often in the epistles of Paul, I'm used to saying page number 900 and then so on, because he's in our 900s in our pew Bibles. 500s today, 533. Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. This book, just for a little background, was written by a handful of ancient authors. Majority of the Proverbs were written by Solomon, king of Israel, son of David. Other Proverbs, just a few of them, written by Agur. Another gentleman named Lemuel. Group of men called the men of Hezekiah. And then perhaps even a final editor or two that put everything together. I suspect there was an editor that kind of sewed things up for us. Uh, to pull all these chapters together, and these editors have gone unnamed. 31 chapters from start to finish. That's that's all the book of Proverbs has. It's a book that has seven collection of wisdom sayings. If you wondered sort of what's the structure of the book of Proverbs, some would argue there's almost no structure at all. I would say there's a deeper structure than most people give it credit for, as I've been reading it and rereading it this week. Uh, There seem at least to be, I would say, seven basic um, sets of wisdom sayings um, throughout these these four or five different authors, but 31 chapters. And one of the charms of the book of Proverbs is that their contents can be read in its entirety from start to finish in the space of one month. I don't know if any of you have tried to do that before. In fact, I know some of you have have made a discipline of reading through the Proverbs, one every day, just kind of like a vitamin C, one one proverb, one chapter, Uh, every day for a month. Um, In fact, if you took chapter one of Proverbs tomorrow 
you would be done with this book by the end of the sermon series. That might be a little challenge for you. And you could even take Sundays off. Okay? Six days a week, if you plow ahead one chapter a day, you will have worked through all of the Proverbs um, by the time that this sermon series is over. We're just going to take six weeks in this book of Scripture. Something to consider. Why have we selected this book of Holy Scripture for the balance of the spring season? What are we up to here in the book of Proverbs? One of the goals is simply practical. Uh, At our elder meetings where we consider and pray over where I'm going to head with the preaching ministry, we put our heads together and several of the men had mentioned a, a number of themes that I have either never covered in my preaching here at this church or maybe seldom covered and it would be helpful to revisit these topics again. But the topics didn't seem to have any coherency. They seemed valid and they seemed like good places for us to be. Uh, but I couldn't figure out how we are going to put this together. But all of a sudden, it was like the book of Proverbs just stood up and cleared its throat. And I thought, huh, we, we can do a lot of these things, actually. Uh, the men were asking about um, uh, biblical perspective on finances, uh, wealth, and giving in the local church. Uh, elders are wondering about some sermons, perhaps, on the topic of hospitality, our presence in our neighborhoods for the advance of the gospel. Um, I began to think more broadly about sermons about like work and vocation and what it means to follow Jesus from nine to five. What about decision making? What about planning for the future? And all of a sudden, book of Proverbs seemed to be an obvious place to go. Now, the great draw of Proverbs for many of us, without a doubt, is its practicality, isn't it? Think about it for a minute. Proverbs doesn't thunder at us from the heights of Mount Sinai like the book of Exodus does. Um, It doesn't walk us lockstep through a a 13-page theological argument like Paul does in the book of Romans. Proverbs is different than that. It, It doesn't even require the attention span of the narrative portions of Scripture, the story portions of Scripture. You really can be uh, completely ADD and read this book just fine. It's a different kind of book. The Gospels don't read this way. Proverbs tends to speak to us right where we live. As you read this book, you start to think about your cranky co-workers, don't you? Difficult life decisions. Nosy neighbors, disobedient children. Proverbs is where we live. If if Proverbs is anything, it is concrete and it is real world. And we find that very helpful. But here's where we need to be careful. We must not mistake practical for optional. Don't mistake practical for optional. Even those here with a more pragmatic bent, and I wouldn't be one of those, which is why the book of Proverbs is a stretch for me. But even if you are a just give me the bottom line kind of person. Proverbs will backfire on you if all you are committed to doing is uh, taking pragmatic tips for living out of it. Proverbs isn't designed for that. We can commit a serious error if we consign this book to just like the, to the icing on the cake of our following Jesus. <clears throat> that the real stuff happens at the level of Romans and Ephesians, and if there's time, maybe some wisdom from Proverbs sprinkled on top. Wisdom in the Bible is very different than that. Pastor Ray Ortland observes, let's not underrate what we have here in the book of Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is more than what we find in a fortune cookie. 
It is more than an optional add-on for people who want to upgrade their lives from, say, a 4 to 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. This wisdom in the book of Proverbs is a matter of life and death. End quote. I hope you hear this loud and clear this morning. The book of Proverbs is not about enhancing the quality of your Christian life, but rather about determining whether you qualify for eternal life. That's the burden of this book. The book of Proverbs is not about enhancing the quality of our Christian lives, but rather determining whether or not we qualify for eternal life. In case you think that's sensational language, I just invite you to hear afresh the language of Proverbs itself. Proverbs 3.18 says that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Proverbs 5.6 says that folly is like walking with feet which go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, or the grave, is what that means. Proverbs 8.35 and 36 says of wisdom, Whoever finds me finds life and favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. The book of Proverbs is not about enhancing the quality of our Christian lives, nor does it flatter us. Now, over the next six weeks, we will take up practical topics. I assure you, it will be practical things that we will take up. We are planning on looking at uh, planning for the future, working to the glory of God, or studying to the glory of God. We'll give a biblical perspective on finances. We will, on Mother's Day, Lord willing, look at the Proverbs 31 woman and her activity, and we'll sew things up with a little study about life around the neighborhood, what it means to be a friend. We will take these topics up, but just know this. We will take them all the way up. All the way up into the presence of Almighty God. But we will discover that these everyday, real-world matters really do matter to the Lord. And that they even serve as a litmus test for whether or not we actually know him to begin with. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's get started. First of two points today. Number one, wisdom is far more precious than most Christians realize. To refuse her invitation is to refuse Christ himself. Wisdom is far more precious than most Christians realize. To refuse her invitation is to refuse Christ himself. Proverbs chapter 9 Verses 1 to 12. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come Eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man. He'll increase in learning. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Wisdom is far more precious than most of us realize. Wisdom calls to us. She calls to us with an invitation. And to refuse her invitation is to refuse Jesus. I'm going to make that argument in a little bit. In the first six verses of this chapter, you'll notice that wisdom is personified, right? She's embodied, she's incarnated as a woman. Woman wisdom, lady wisdom. She's a woman. This is not time the, the first time in this book where we see wisdom presented this way. Uh, actually, chapter 9 is kind of the crescendo of the first nine chapters of the book. Chapter 9 is the high point where you have to decide. You choose this day whom you will serve, wisdom or folly. All the way through, starting in uh, the early chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, you see wisdom personified as a, as a woman. And I hope we see how very busy this gal is especially in verses 1 to 3. The first verse says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. In the ancient Near East at the time, a seven-pillared house was a big place. This is a palatial mansion in the ancient Near East. Seven pillars indicates wealth. And the number seven itself in the book of Proverbs, as in much of the Bible, is a number that suggests completeness or perfection. Many of us know that. That's how the number seven is used throughout the Bible. It's part of Hebrew wisdom. Seven is a perfect number and so on. So it's a perfect house with tons of space, enough for all who want to enter. It should remind us of the words of our Lord Jesus who says in John 14, 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be where I am also. That's what Lady Wisdom wants, that you may be where I am also, is what she's saying. She's built her house Verse 2 says, she slaughtered her beasts and mixed her wine. She set her table. So this isn't just any house. It's a house with a banquet on hand. If you like to eat, then I'm preaching to the choir here. At this meal, there's meat. There is handmade wine. A lavishly decorated table. So note the, the image now. Coming to understand biblical wisdom is likened to pulling your chair up to a table located in a mansion filled with the finest foods and drink available. Is that the way that you think about Bible study? Because it's the way the Bible thinks about Bible study. Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Job 23.12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. 
Psalm 19.10, scriptural wisdom is said to be sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Psalm 22.26 says, eat and be satisfied. Psalm 34.8, taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here in our text this morning, Lady Wisdom is calling to us in verse 5, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I've mixed. And she's talking about wisdom here. This kind of wisdom doesn't intoxicate us. It brings sobriety and clarity to us. Too many of us read and meditate on the Bible as if we were on some kind of spiritual diet. Like we're counting theological calories or something. That's not the picture here in Proverbs. It was certainly not the frame of mind of Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds this country has ever produced. Jonathan Jonathan Edwards said the following about feasting on biblical wisdom. It is my favorite statement that Edwards ever made. I've said it from here before, and I will say it again. This is Edwards. Persons need not and ought not set any bounds to their spiritual and gracious appetites. On the contrary, you ought to endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. Isn't that great? Laying yourself in the way of allurement. Edwards concludes by saying, there is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. He's saying, binge on Bible. Binge on wisdom. How does woman wisdom make this feast known? Look with me at verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. The young women here are servant girls of Lady Wisdom, her emissaries that she sends out into the town, her heralds, her town criers, if you like. So Wisdom herself doesn't make the appeal directly. She has emissaries, she has messengers. Wisdom cries aloud through the voice of human agency, like this morning. When Jesus gave his famous parable of the wedding feast, if you remember that, in Matthew 22, 2, he says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call to those who were invited to the wedding feast. Ever since the beginning of God's self-revealing work in this world, after creation, as he began to reveal who he is, he's always done it this way. Through people, through prophets, apostles, teachers, preachers, pastors, evangelists, leaders of different kinds. In the book of Proverbs, these messengers take a more kind of homespun uh, aspect. They are parents, father and mother, sages, mentors. And I think that's because Romans ten seventeen is crystal clear that faith comes from hearing. So does wisdom. And hearing through the word. That word is delivered from lips to ears and it's received into the heart. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. And then verses four to six. We see to whom wisdom is addressed. The appeal is addressed. Starting in verse 4. Whoever is, don't miss it, simple, let him turn in here. To him 
who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Who's she calling simple? Right? Us. Exactly. All of us. Anyone who will listen to the sound of her voice. The word simple can actually be translated gullible here. Legitimately. To the naive, to the susceptible, to the easy to fleece, I say, come, take of my wisdom. One Old Testament scholar writes, wisdom personally invites the feckless and spiritually brainless to repent and turn the direction of their lives over to her. Another author I read this week sums up this statement with his own on this. He says, we don't like being told that we're simple and naive and ignorant. But we can put away our feeling of insult and be glad because the Bible does not idealize us. Praise God. The Bible does not idealize us. The Bible sets the bar low where beginners like us can get traction and succeed. Isn't that good news? You can start in the right lane. You can drive a minimum of 40 in the wisdom highway if you want. You may not be ready for the left lane. I'm not. But you can start out and chug along with Lady Wisdom even at your own pace, simpleton though we are. Simple folks like us, then, as we improve in biblical wisdom, can actually become sages. Those here today who are, we consider, wise among us, they didn't begin wise. They began simple. And they took basic steps with Jesus over and over and over again to the point where they had something to share with us. To be simple, according to the book of Proverbs, is really not the worst thing in the world. It sounds like such an insult, but it's, it's not that bad, really. Um, to be simple is not the worst thing that we can be, according to the book of Proverbs. To be a scoffer is the worst thing you can be. Look with me at verses 7, 8, and 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he'll increase in learning. And then verse 12. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The scoffer, the mocker, is a prideful person. They, this person walks with a swagger, not a limp. Okay? You can hardly tell folks like this anything that they think they don't already know. It's maddening. They look upon other people's correction with contempt and condescension. They can't abide it. When you try to correct these people, it's like sticking your hand inside the cage of a wild animal. You might not get it back to correct a scoffer. So, earlier last week, if memory serves... My wife forgot her lunch on the way to school. Melissa teaches first grade at Hilltop Primary, for those who don't know. She called me after she'd arrived in her classroom and asked if I'd be kind enough to drop the lunch off a little bit later in the day, just before lunch. And since I'm so kind, I agreed. I walked into the entrance at Hilltop, those double doors. I've done it a gazillion times. And I read the placarded notice that has been there for the last five years or so that we've been sending our kids there, which says this. 
all visitors must sign in at the office. Thank you. And you know what? Most of the time, I do. But I'm there a lot. And especially like when I'm only going to be a second or so, to, to turn over to the office and sign my name and get logged in and so on. After I'm just going to be leaving like a minute. I'll just be a minute. I typically don't sign in. I mean, what's the big deal? What are they going to do really? So I walk right through those doors and I start making my way to my destination. When from behind me I hear a familiar voice of authority. Mr. Abernethy. Good to see you today. Where are you headed? This was a voice of authority. It was the principal, Nancy Benz. She not only had caught me red-handed not signing in, that was obvious, but she was leading a tour of a prospective student and the student's parents. She said, where are you headed? And I answered her question with a little disbelief in my voice. Not exactly sure how I said it, but I said, I'm dropping off lunch for my wife. At which point she turned to the prospective student's parents and she said, oh, Mr. Abernethy is married to Mrs. Abernethy. She teaches first grade here at Hilltop, making the connections even tighter for her, (laughs) for me. And then she added, don't you think you might want to sign in at the office? At which point I just did a 180 and with what dignity that remained, which was minimal. I went to the office, and I just signed in, and I got my name badge. I want to tell you something. Days went by, and I couldn't get that off my mind. You think I wasn't seething as I walked by her, that she had made me sign in? My decision to begin with not to sign in was unwise, I mean, the school has a safety policy for a reason. I've been reflecting on this. I appreciate the safety policy of the West Tonka Public Schools. I benefit from it every day. Somehow I thought I was above the bar. My reaction was less than stellar. It could have been far better, but it has a happy ending. I, on Thursday, was over at the school. I go to have lunch with Caleb every Thursday, and I asked Ms. Benz if she would speak with me for a minute or two and and apologize sincerely, looked her in the eye and told her that I made a significant error in not signing in, and I practically got a hug from her. It felt so good. And we buried the hatchet. Here's the lesson. This was a simple test of wisdom and folly, and I found myself totally unprepared. Is it wise to sign in? Yes. Like a fool, I didn't, and it could have been a lot worse. I represent my wife when I'm at that school, I represent this entire congregation when I'm at this school. People are watching. And they're not just watching me, they're watching you. If you profess Jesus, they're watching you. And they're wondering, is this person living wisely or is this person living foolishly? The reputation of Jesus is on the line when we're in situations like this. And situations far more sticky than that one. Wouldn't it be great if we could be Proverbs 9-9 people? The kind of people who... Uh, When you give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. At the beginning of this point, we'd said, wisdom is far more precious than most Christians realize. To refuse her invitation is to refuse Christ himself. Why is it 
that refusing wisdom is tantamount to refusing Jesus himself. Why is that true? Part of the reason is found in verse 10, where Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear and knowledge of God are wisdom's starting blocks. If we don't have a proper reverence for the author of the universe, we will not even begin our journey into wisdom, much less make progress in it. And throughout this chapter of the Bible, wisdom belongs to a woman, to the voice of a woman. But as we continue to read the Bible story, we find that wisdom is not that of a lady, but that of our Lord. Our chapter today was written by King Solomon. Yet Jesus reminds us in no uncertain terms, as Seth read for us in Matthew 12, 42, something greater than Solomon is here. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, the Apostle Paul calls Christ the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, And from him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. In Colossians 2.3, it says that in Christ are hidden all, not just some, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Lady Wisdom builds her house, she spreads her feast, she beckons us to come and get wise. And yet Jesus offers us his very body and blood. John 6, 54 and 55, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on me and my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Solomon was wise enough to give us hundreds of Proverbs. There's no doubt. He was wise enough to do that. But he did it with borrowed wisdom because the man died a fool. If you read the end of his story, he dies tragically. Solomon is not the example that we are to emulate. On the contrary, Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, died a death for fools. That's what he did on the cross. That's the wisdom of the cross. Have you embraced Jesus as your wisdom? Not to mention your Savior and your Lord and your treasure. And if you have turned from your sin and count yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, the question then is, do you live wisely? Do you identify at all with my little pathetic little scenario up at Hilltop? Do you find yourself making bonehead mistakes? If so, be careful. I'm serving you notice. Don't blow this sermon or the series off. Say, oh, it's just relationships. It's not really that important. Really. I seem to remember Jesus said quite a bit about relationships. But don't say in a few weeks, oh, it's just finances. Just a sermon on finances. Oh, it's just a sermon about decision making. As if Jesus doesn't have an opinion on these things. The Great Commission includes that we are to teach one another everything to obey everything that Jesus taught us. And the wisest man who ever lived taught this way. This season, our study of the word is serious business. If you have not embraced Jesus as your wisdom this morning, what are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. Get wise. Leave a life of folly. 
Give him your life. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it means to do that and talk with someone right after the worship service, Tim Preble, I believe, is going to be here on behalf of our elders to pray with people. Talk with me. Talk with someone else that may be sitting right here who could point you the way. The book of Proverbs is not about enhancing the quality of your Christian life, but rather determining whether or not you qualify for eternal life. Wisdom is far more precious than most Christians realize. To refuse her invitation is to refuse Christ himself. I'm just going to outline the second point, and we'll be done. Second and final point. Folly is far more dangerous than most Christians realize. To accept her invitation is to become death's unwitting dinner guest. Folly is far more dangerous than most Christians realize. To accept her invitation is to become death's unwitting dinner guest. Verses 13 to the end of the chapter. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Hope you notice by now two women in this chapter, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. What's more, the two women are competing for the exact same group of people's attention, the simple. That's us. And amazingly, this is the kicker, their invitation begins the same way. Compare verse 4 with verse 16. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That's Lady Wisdom. Guess what verse 16 says? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. They sound the same. And it's not always easy for simple people like us to tell the difference between wisdom and foolishness. I was stunned recently listening to someone communicate to me their naivete in a particular subject that they should have known way better about, especially given the the home that they grew up in. I was amazed, but maybe I shouldn't be. We are constantly presented with two ways in life, two paths, and many of our decisions will be foolish ones. The question is whether we we can spot it or not, or whether we love each other enough when we see each other on the folly path. But you've got to make your choice. If you refuse to pursue wisdom, you have by default chosen foolishness. There are only two ways to live. What's more, both of these women set their sights on the highest spot in town. Compare verse 3 with verse 14. They put their banquets at the city's highest point. In the ancient world, the highest point of a city was reserved for the temple, for worship. So what's Solomon saying here? He's he's saying that whether we will choose wisdom or folly in our daily lives is essentially a religious question. Our decisions have to do with who will be God. Are we going to choose the wisdom of God in Christ? Or are we going to give in to the foolishness of the world that, don't miss it, is is cloaked as wisdom. It does look like wisdom. That's the question before us this week and each week ahead as we move into the series. And if you think that you don't need any help identifying wisdom from foolishness, I just just feel sorry for you. (laughs) 
Because Satan's already got you right where he wants you. If, you. if you don't acknowledge that you are simple and need to grow in wisdom, then Lady Folly is calling to you. You see that in verse 15? Calling to those who pass by, the simple, who are going straight on their way. These folks are the straight arrow folks. That's who Lady Folly is interested in. She's already got the fools. She's looking for the people that are walking in wisdom. If you've ever made a poor choice or a series of them, you know how this works. You, you never set out to do something foolish. Oh, let me do something foolish here. It never works that way. You start to think, well, this is, I haven't done it this way before, but maybe this is another way to do it. It looks the same, and it's not. Upon further review, as they say in the NFL, But Lady Folly baits her hook, and we bite, perhaps even multiple times. For you, it may be a series of bad business decisions. Maybe it's relationships in school that you keep um, falling prey to. Maybe it is some other type of relationship in your life. Maybe it's a financial choice that seems sound at the time, but it's coming back to haunt you right now. We all make decisions like this. And the worst thing about it is that you get what you pay for. Look at Lady Wisdom. She, she offers meat and wine in verse 2. Lady Folly, all she can afford is bread and water. The Bible doesn't flatter folly. Folly is folly. And the Bible pulls the curtain on what looks like wisdom in this world. It is bread and water. It's not meat and wine. Meat and wine, of course, are far superior, but... Lady Folly can't compete with those benefits, so she attempts to smooth over it in verse 17 with words like sweet water. Who's ever had sweet water before? Secret bread. Oh yeah, the magic bread. That's better than a steak, right? No. That's all she's got. And so she puts these adjectives in front of it, and we bite. The tempter baits his hook that way. The bait Lady Folly uses is false secrecy and a promise of sweetness that eventually turns bitter. Foolish choices pave the road to hell itself. The Hebrew word in verse 18, Sheol, technically the place of the dead is what it means, but rest assured, this is not heaven. Foolish choices are quite literally a banquet in the grave. So folly is far more dangerous than most Christians realize. To accept her invitation is to become death's unwitting dinner guest. The book of Proverbs is not about enhancing the quality of our Christian lives. I hope we see that, but rather determining whether or not we qualify for eternal life. Next week, we will take a look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about decision-making and planning ahead. And once again, as we're going to see every week, we're going to see two roads in front of us. Path of wisdom, path of folly. Which of us doesn't need help in decision-making and planning for the future? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that you take pity on simple folk like us. We thank you that the Bible is pitched right at our level. Lord, you, you condescend in all of your incredible wisdom to speak to us in our folly. And Lord Jesus, your wisdom was unsearchable. 
You are wisdom. And we crucified you for a fool. But we are the fools whom you died for. We thank you for the wisdom of the cross. I pray, Father, that all of us over these next several weeks would be willing to become fools, that we could become wise, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. Father, if there is anyone here within the sound of my voice that is living in folly apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would quicken them now. I pray that you would grant repentance and faith unto salvation. I pray that you would bring conviction of foolishness and sin and that you would bring a flood of gospel light and wisdom into someone's life this morning. And I pray the same for, Lord, for all of us who are on the path with you that, that need this series very much in this season of our life. Help us walk this path of wisdom for it's a path of life. In Jesus' name, amen.